as we face more and more opposition to the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, to everything that he teaches in the word of God, and as that gospel works out in our lives, as we seek to uphold the truth, more and more we're going to be called to give a reason for the hope that we have. And when Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3.15, that's what he speaks of. He says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a, an answer to any, everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Of course, that's a tremendous text and we could spend a long time opening it up. But isn't that the case? We need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. And in these days, we need to be ready to answer people who oppose us on the different issues of our day, whether that be so-called marriage redefinition or the matters of life, whether that be abortion or euthanasia or some other variant that will creep into our society. We have to set our hearts on Christ as Lord and we must speak. And the same was exactly true for the days of Stephen. People uh, in those days who were unbelievers needed to hear the message. Stephen had already been preaching the word. It wasn't something based on personal opinion. It was the truth of God. And that's a note that we could carry into our lives. It's not uh, when we come to address people, it's not my personal opinion that matters. It's not what I think, but it is the Word of God. It is what God has set to be His way. And Stephen here in Acts has been accused of two things. He has been accused, first of all, of blasphemy. He has been brought before the Sanhedrin and charged with saying that Jesus would destroy this place and in fact of speaking against it. In fact, they, they say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. And then secondly, they accuse him of speaking against the customs of Moses. He says, and they've stirred up, of course, this opinion. We have heard him say that this Jesus will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Now, if we understand what has been happening already with Stephen, it is that he is under the cloud, the Sanhedrin, that the people have already decided. In fact, the judgment has been made. Stephen is worthy of death because that's what happened to the blasphemer. And that penalty, if you like, has almost already been decided. Stephen knows the ilk of the people before whom he stands. But to give 
this whole matter some gloss of being a true judgment, the high priest says to Stephen at the beginning of chapter 7, what have you to say for yourself? And he says to Stephen, are these charges true? So Stephen has a natural opening for his defense. And that's what we are thinking about this evening. Stephen in this chapter gives his defense. We are going to try and take in the whole lot right down to verse 53. Here's his defense. And as we read these verses down to verse 53, where he speaks, we might say, well, how, how do these things relate to what he has been accused of? How is this a defense? And I hope that I can help you to have some idea as to how the words of Stephen were in fact a true defense of his position and all pointed to Jesus Christ as the one who was to come. It is because of these words, of course, and especially his clear and rather forceful application that at the very end of the chapter from verse 54, Stephen is put to death. But first of all, Stephen in his defense directs attention to covenant promise. He begins right back in the history. Stephen is a Jew. These are Jews. These are people who look back to Abraham and to Moses. He has been accused of blaspheming against Moses and against God. And so how does he begin? He begins his words the God of glory. And he is giving honor to God. This is the true God. I am not different to you, he says. I worship the God of glory. And more than that, he goes on to speak to them about their father Abraham. And as we read, he traces Abraham while he left, was called to leave his homeland and eventually comes into the land of promise. But what is the key thing in those first verses? It is this, that God took Abraham even before he had children, and he made his covenant with him. God gave him the promise of an inheritance and of descendants. And particularly, we come to that text where he tells us that he would enter into covenant um, with him and that he would be the people of God. It is the covenant of circumcision. Circumcision wasn't the covenant. It was the sign of God's owning Abraham and all his descendants as his own people. And he circumcised Isaac on the eighth day. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of the twelve patriarchs. So Stephen is clearly saying, this is God's covenant. These are our forebears. These are the people whom we all look back to. And God gave covenant promise to our father Abraham. And as a result, we are all under God. He is the Lord of glory. 
we are pledged to be his. Not just outwardly in ritual, but in our hearts. The follow- we are to be followers of God. And we are to be brought to him. Now at this point, Abraham or Stephen has not ruffled any feathers because the people, the Sanhedrin, they all looked to Abraham. They knew what he was saying was true. Stephen has shown himself to understand the history of the nation and he has shown himself to know the ways of God. And he is saying to them, if God has taken us to be his own covenant people, we are then to be followers of God and to do his will. We are his and we are to honor him first and foremost. We might have some idea of that ownership when we think of our own human situation. Someone comes and invents some piece of equipment, something. What do they do? They go out and they patent it. They, they get a, a legal document that says this belongs to you. You're the only one has the right to decide where, who and how this will be used. And then if you like, Stephen is pointing out that as the people of God, God is the one who will direct their paths. They are his people for him to rule over. Christians, those who pledge themselves to Jesus Christ, are in the same covenant, bond with God. We are His. The sign of the covenant has changed to that of baptism. We, being baptized into Christ, are saying by the outward symbol, we belong to Jesus. He is our Lord. We are His, bound to Him. And this is to impact on our lives and how we live in society. We are not free to simply do as we please. The Lord directs our paths. Therefore, the King, Jesus, is the one who directs us what we are to think regarding marriage or life or uh, morality or whatever else we may be doing, how to carry out our business, and how we should relate with one another. It is Christ and his word, because we are his. And so in the same way, Stephen was saying, we're in covenant bonds, and he has promised to Abraham to build his people. And Stephen is saying, we are those people. So he's laid this as a foundation Secondly, Stephen goes on then to show how that God brings favor or he brings attention to the fact of God's free favor, undeserved favor. Just note what happened with the twelve patriarchs here as Stephen outlines their jealousy of Joseph. Of course, that was wrong. They were in a place where they should not have been. And as a result of their jealousy of Joseph, he was sent off and ended up in Egypt. But then what happens? A famine strikes the whole land. And there is a note there given in verse 11. The famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering. And and our fathers could not find food. 
Here is God's judgment upon them in one sense, and yet at the same time he has already begun to show favor because Joseph is in Egypt and he is to be the Savior. He, is, he has been the one who has, if you like, been rejected by the family. They have shown jealousy towards him. But he is the one who is going to bring them salvation. And Stephen records how Joseph sent, or the, the, the father Isaac sent for the family to come down and for Jacob, Israel, was went down into Egypt rather to find food. And the second time their whole family came down. And then in verse 16, that note, their bodies were brought back to Shechem. But God has shown favor to these people. He had worked out his purposes so that in the midst of a famine, they would have a way of receiving all the food they needed. What favor. Undeserved favor. These were patriarchs were a jealous bunch. The brothers of Joseph did not treat him well. And Stephen is building up his argument. He's showing that the people didn't deserve anything, but God freely gave it. And he makes application of that to the people around him when he comes uh, to those verses at verse 51. God has shown you favor. God has shown all kinds of favor. And in fact, even as we go on and we could read the verses that we didn't read from verse 17 right through, he speaks of other instances there of God's favor. Moses being born, that was because of God's favor. How God prepared Moses to be the one who would lead them. God was being favorable to a people who were rebellious and who did not follow God as they should. And he's giving it to them freely, undeserved favor. Thirdly, Stephen highlights faithfulness of God through Moses. God provided Moses. He has been faithful to his covenant. He is going to bring this people according to the covenant promise out of Egypt. Stephen is able to record how this all came about. Uh, Because a ruler of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph and he dealt treacherously with our people. And what did God do in that circumstance? He prepared Moses, no ordinary child. Stephen focuses in on the Saviour who would be Moses. Moses is the one who is going to be leading them. God remains faithful, you see, to his promise, even though the people are not faithful. In fact, at times they rebelled against Moses. When Moses at the first start thought that maybe he could lead these people out of Egypt, what did the first thing they say to him? Who made you ruler and judge over us? You see, when Moses killed the Egyptian to try and bring help to his people, he thought the people would have come around him and supported him and he would be able to lead them out. That was what he was to do, but not at that point. 
who made you ruler and judge over us. So Moses had to go away for 40 years to learn how to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And God then brought him back, appearing, as Stephen says, in the burning bush. He calls him here again. God is faithful. Moses has disappeared. The the one who might be their saviour. But God worked. And he tells these people in the St. Hedron as he defends himself, Stephen says, this is that Moses who taught the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. Saying Moses even told them of a Messiah to come. Because God was going to be utterly faithful to the very end, to have his own people in his own place worshipping him. Stephen goes on and adds on other material, as you can read there, concerning Babylon uh, and how even they they ill-treated by the Egyptians, but whenever they escaped, of course, they offered up uh, to the idol. They rejected the ways of God. He records for them the words of uh, the people to Aaron in verse 40, make us gods who will go before us, even though God was right there with them. And so Stephen is saying, here is what God has been doing all along. He also in those verses speaks of the tabernacle, the dwelling of God. He says to the people, There was a tabernacle in the desert. God dwelt among you. And he records and speaks of the temple and how that temple was to be built, but not by David, though that was his desire, but it was Solomon who built the house for him. And yet, what did he say Solomon said? Stephen reminds them. What kind of house Will you build for me, says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And God is really saying, and it said to Solomon, I will not only dwell in a house. Everything is mine. The tabernacle is a symbol of my presence, but it all belongs to me. And we need to recognize that today. Everything is the Lord's, belongs to him. And so you see Stephen is saying, rather than blaspheming Moses and God, I am upholding them. I am saying to you that these are the things that we trace right through the history of our nation. The jealous patriarchs, God showed them favor freely. The people came and rejected those who would speak the truth. But, he says, God remained faithful in the midst of all of that. And even in our day, and that brings Stephen to the application of the word, he might have been saying, even in our day, he says, the same things are happening. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like our fathers. They rejected Joseph. They rejected Moses. They weren't listening. They wanted idols. And you're no better. Because the God whom we worship has sent 
the prophet that was spoken about to Moses or that Moses spoke of, the one who would come like him, the better than Moses, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So no wonder when he comes to verse 51, an application of the word, Stephen says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus had come. Jesus had shown himself to be the man of God. Jesus had been shown himself to be the one who fulfilled the covenant promise of a Messiah and who take these people to be his own people. Stephen saying, you're rejecting me because I'm telling you about the Messiah whom you should be looking for. And he's actually defending himself by attacking their wayward thoughts and their lack of attention to the truth. God sent Jesus Christ. He followed in the line of Joseph and Moses and all the prophets. And Stephen isn't a bit slow. He says, was there ever a prophet your fathers did not uh, persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And we can think of the prophets like Jeremiah and the others who were put to death. And Stephen is saying, you're acting to type as a godless people who should have had the word of God in your hearts to follow and to serve. These are the ones who received the law but have not obeyed it. And as a consequence, they murdered the king of glory. They killed the righteous one. Naturally, Stephen's words cut to the heart and they become furious. That takes us into the last few verses. And they're going to put him to death. But friends, what about you and me? We hear the teaching of the word of God. We listen to that teaching. Could you be described as a stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears? And so often that's what we are. Because we hear things but we don't act upon that truth. We hear the word proclaimed as to how we're to live but we don't do it. We're challenged about how we use language or how we uh, think about other people. We don't apply it. We do our own thing, careless about the way we speak or the way we act. We're told in the Word how we are to humble ourselves before God and yet before each other there's pride perhaps arrogance, and all kinds of things. Could it be that we are even rejecting Christ in our actions while all the time we're claiming with our mouths we follow him? Because in a way, that's exactly what the Jews were doing. They're saying, oh, we worship God, we love him. But all the time they had rejected the Messiah, the Lord of glory. They hadn't listened. They had allowed the word of God to open up their hearts. The 
Holy Spirit had been uh, resisted. Friends, what a lesson for us. There's no defense for you or for me, except that we might just say, Father, examine my heart. See if there's any false way in me. Help me to know your word so that I will live according to that truth. So that I will realize that all that your word speaks is for your glory. Stephen was able to plot the whole course of their history and say, here's why I'm right. That's this Christ who has come. It's because God has entered into covenant promise with Abraham and this is the one who was to come. That we in him might be the people of God. Not simply born of Abraham, but born through faith. And he's saying to them, God has shown us favor freely. That's what he's done in Jesus. He's opened up the way that whosoever calls upon him might have life. And he's brought attention to God's faithfulness. And God, even in the midst of an unfaithful people, kept his promise. And they disobeyed him again by putting to death the King of glory. May we live out the word. May we realize that God tabernacles everywhere in the world. He sees all our actions. And may we honor him and pray for the Holy Spirit to lead us to honor him day after day. Stephen defended himself showing that Jesus was indeed the one who came in the line of Abraham as God promised. Amen.